Where are we, Cindy? We're in Colchester, Essex, England. Yes, Colchester, the first capital of Roman Britain and home to Britain's only known Roman chariot racing track that could seat 8,000 spectators. Do you know that? Wow. And here's another cool fact too, Matthew. Did you know that Colchester is the only town in Britain to have been explicitly mentioned in George Orwell's novel, 1984, as being the target of a nuclear attack? I did not know that, but that is a cool fact. <laughs> well, an explosive fact. <laughs> That's true. Now, famous Colcestrians include Damon Alban and Graham Coxon from the band Blur. They met at the Stanway Secondary School in Colchester. And you could say that things could get a bit blurry for Cindy and me today. Oh, come on. Hey, I'm crowbarring here. Work with me. Uh-huh. Now, we're here in Colchester outside the offices of AIXR, the Academy of International Extended Reality. And we're here to meet Chris Gunby, Head of Membership and Strategic Alliances at the Academy. And we're excited, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> because we have made this special trip here to have a go at using some very cool technology which is the subject of today's episode. BSI presents The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Today's episode is on standards and immersive technologies. What's what's happened to your hands now, Cindy? They're pink and they've, they've got scales and nails. Yeah, great nails. Yeah, I know. Maybe I'll. One pink, one one blue by the looks of it. Put your other hand. Close the fist on me. Oh, wow. And I've got. Oh, what's up? Now you've got some spikes coming out. Exactly. Oh! Oh! (laughs) 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 So, Cindy has just. uh, She just whacked me in the back of the head. So that's. uh, you're proper, a proper g- yeah, I know, I wanted to use my new equipment. Is that, you, you know? just waited until you got the spikes to do that? Exactly, I was waiting, I was waiting to do this all day. So that, I think that's, a, Chris did say when we were getting a starting of this, um, to stand stand well back, and I, uh, I should have heeded his advice there, because Cindy gave me a good whack in the back of the neck. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, I think I caught all the eyes. Hello, and welcome to The Standard Show. My name is Matthew Childs, and I am with... Cindy Paragill. Hello, Cindy, how are you? Trying to be one jump ahead. And you? (laughs) Trying to remain in the saddle. I suppose there's no other way to start this episode than for me to say the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. How many of the girls and boys out there do you think will have got that reference, Matthew? (laughs) Not sure. I reckon maybe 13. Yeah, I should think so. (laughs) (laughs) And we probably shouldn't get too carried away with all of this. So how do we perform the great escape from this particular part of the intro? Maybe let's just bring it to the end. Good idea. Yes, we were in Colchester, home of 90s Britpop sensations Blur, and also home to AIXR, the Academy of International Extended Reality. And we heard at the top of the episode a snippet of Cindy getting caught up in the moment using a virtual reality headset, aided by top man from AIXR, Chris Gumby. More of which later. You're still doing the Blur thing, aren't you? Yes, yes I am. Actually, if I don't stop now, I'm in danger of becoming a charmless man. Ah, come on. (laughs) Sorry, that's definitely it. (laughs) So, in this episode, we are looking at the issue of standards and immersive technologies. And it's an episode in four parts. 
Yes, in part four, we'll hear from Joy Tan. Joy is BSI Senior Standards Manager for Digital and is responsible for the BSI Standards Committee, IST31, on immersive technologies. She tells us about why BSI is getting involved in standards development in this area, and in particular about the issues of health, safety and security. In part three, we'll hear from Chapman Lee, a member of the IST31 committee. Chapman tells us about the role and influence of gaming in the development of immersive technologies. In part two, we'll hear from Chris Gunby about the technology Matthew and I were using on our visit to AIXR, and also what it was like using it, which included me learning how the walls in the real world are also the same as in the virtual one. <laughs> and about pink lizard hands with nails on them. Yep, that too. <laughs> and in part one, we'll hear from Daniel Kolaiani, Chief Executive of AIXR. Now, Daniel is also Chair of the Standards Committee IST31. He tells us why he believes standards can help grow the use and development of immersive technologies and to create a sustainable industry, one that is trusted by consumers and policymakers. And we should add that for Daniel Chapman and Joy, we quiz them on their gaming passions too. Yes. There's no standards desk of news this time, but we do have a my favourite standard. BSI colleague Alice Cassassian-Brown tells us why BS1970, hot water bottles manufactured from rubber and PVC, is so important to her. Yes, it's a lovely story, beautifully told. And whilst this episode is all about new tech, Alice's story reminds us that there's plenty of old tech out there that is still going strong. Now, a further reminder that here on The Standard Show, we really welcome your feedback. Do please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We are particularly keen for you to rate and review us if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's quick and easy, and it really does make a difference to us being found in search and recommendations. In fact, it's so quick and easy, why don't you do it right now? It's okay. We'll pause, and while we do so, here's some light music. Excellent. Thank you for doing that. That was some nice music. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> now, you can also find and follow us on Twitter at Standard Show, and also on Instagram at The Standard Show. And check out the show notes for all of the ways to get in touch. Do you want to know more about the role and purpose of standards in the modern world? Then BSI's free online course, The Power of Standards, is for you. Through its three modules, you'll learn about what standards are, why organizations use them, how they are made, and how and why people get involved in standards making. The course is designed to last around 30 minutes, but you don't need to complete it all at once. You can stop at any point and restart again later when you're ready. To find out more, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. So we begin our look at standards and immersive technologies with Daniel Kola-Iani. With a background and passion for video gaming, Daniel is Chief Executive of AIXR and also Chair of IST31, the BSI committee responsible for developing standards for immersive technologies. I spoke to Daniel about the work of the committee and his motivations for chairing it. We also spoke about the different terms used in this space, VR, AR, XR and the metaverse. 
and how these technologies will be playing a bigger role in all of our lives. Now, he was speaking to me from his base in Catania, Sicily, and he told me that everyone in his company had access to a VR headset. So I started by suggesting to him that this must make his team meetings pretty interesting. It's quite fun because the, the biggest thing for me is we avoid these cultural divides, uh, which is which is really um, amazing. And I've learned so much in the last two years just working with different people all across the world. For example, you know, the, the lead on my projects team is based in Jordan in Amman. Um, the uh, one person on our team is based in Edinburgh. And then we have other people who are based very, very local to our head office in, in Colchester in Essex. Uh, so all of these different things, uh, for me, the, the funnest thing is, it's not really the technology, but it's the ability that the technology gives us to to understand different cultures and and access talent that is just not accessible if you were to limit yourself to to just a local region, for example. What do we mean by those technologies? What are we talking about here? Well, that's a very good question because a lot of people have confusion with this. And the biggest confusion with these terminologies is mainly because of the organizations that tend to use different terminologies and, and confuse, uh, in general, consumers. Virtual reality uh, is the term that most people will know. Virtual reality is this concept of being able to create brand new environments, completely 3D generated environments that don't exist in the real world. These are. This is something that you immerse yourself into 100% fully uh, and you're immersing yourself in a computer generated graphics world, which, uh, like I said, is just not achievable in, in the real world. Whereas the interesting thing is augmented reality is this opportunity to overlay these 3D graphics onto, uh, onto the real world. So let's say um, many people would already know this as a Snapchat or Instagram filter, for example, being able to change yourself into a dog or being able to access things. Those are the more fun side of things. But AR is, you know, the ability to walk into a meeting room and instantly be connected with LinkedIn and see everyone's names in there, as I'm sure uh, many people have, have forgotten people when they go networking, for example, all of these opportunities. Now, the, the other way that we view this, and because it can be quite a mouthful if we keep referring to it as virtual reality, augmented reality, and there's loads of other ways that people say things. For example, Microsoft like to say mixed reality as their term for enhanced version of AR, essentially. But we, we use a collective term, which is called extended reality or, or XR. This is our catch-all term. I like to think of it as the X could be replaced with absolutely anything. Um, to allow you to, to, to interchange. But in general, you know, extended reality is this idea of this concept of all these different areas. Now, there is one other name I want to throw into here as well, because a lot more people will be aware of this now, which is also this terminology called the metaverse. Um, so the, the metaverse is this concept of bringing extended reality, so VR, AR, MR, all of these terms, and being able to interlock them and interchange them into a persistent, always-on world, for example. So whether I'm in the physical world or I'm in the virtual world, all of these are able to interact with each other permanently, and, and it's an always-on process. So the, so the original term then, just a sort of a timeline here, we sort of start with virtual reality, we then go through aug augmented reality, we're then into extended, and then I suppose there's a final destination, this idea of the metaverse. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, extended reality is going to exist on its own because not everyone is going to be always connected into the metaverse. 
but I would say the end goal is is this idea of a metaverse. Um, it's interesting because um, at, we, we we knew this term a long time ago. It was first coined in, in a book called Snow Crash, uh, which is a great read if anyone wants to, to take a look at that. Um, but it, in that book, that, that term was coined. Um, and it's quite interesting because since, uh, for example, Facebook changed their name to Meta, which is about becoming a metaverse organization, the term has just skyrocketed. I'm sure in, in a couple of years' time, when we go and look at the Google search results of, t- of search terms, uh, that that's going to skyrocket from this year. Um, but th- it, it's 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 a term, it's something that people, those in the industry, people have already understood. And it's something that when I first put on a headset uh, back in 2017, um, this was what I was imagining. So this is just kind of an idea. I think every single person that I know with that works within VR or AR has always imagined this. But now I guess this is more of an accessible term or an accessible uh, realization of that because all of the larger organizations are starting to, to integrate it into their marketing campaigns. Now, in terms of the actual technology itself, then you've talked there about putting a headset on. Obviously, gaming is something that uh, that was a pretty huge part here. But how are you know how are these immersive technologies being used right now, sort of above and beyond gaming? Where where are people experiencing, or where will they be experiencing the use of this te- of this technology? Well, this is what's so interesting, and and what drew me to the XR industry, is the fact that virtual reality and augmented reality it, it's not just about video games. It's this ability to work from a healthcare perspective, from education and training perspectives, from corporate identity and marketing. Basically, the, the way, and I've got a little graph that I had to make once to, to explain this to someone. The way I view it is XR intersects between every single industry that you can imagine, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's theater, any single industry that you can have in your mind right now, our industry will cross-sect at every single side of, of that. So for an example, in healthcare, you have physicians and, and doctors being taught how to do certain things that would just be too dangerous or risky uh, to do on a, on a real life patient. From a training perspective, the retention rates of uh, VR experiences, for example, are much, much higher than a retention rate from a, a real life lesson. Then you have things like theatre, for example, and it, this is, I like to use this example because we're doing this at the moment with a, with a local theatre. It's designing a program that allows uh, young people to design their own theatre shows in a virtual reality to begin with, um, and then being able to act it out in real life afterwards. And then you have AR being used in more practical senses, and, and I, I use less examples for AR because most people know AR right now from a mobile phone perspective. So uh, a lot of people like Apple, for example, have integrated what we call uh, a LiDAR sensor into their new phones and their iPads. And what a LiDAR sensor does is it sends off a beam of light to a wall or to an object, and then it reflects back to the camera. And the time that it takes for that beam to hit the wall and come back allows it to measure essentially a 3D image and and paint a 3D image of, of those objects in a room. And then the reason why Apple are doing that is not necessarily because people want to use a LiDAR scanner on these phones, but it's because the data that they're collecting, the data that that enables them to have, enables them to paint a a, a persistent metaverse, essentially, of the real world, be able to design and, and optimize these things. And then it's not for a phone. It's not for a tablet. It's for putting these into an AR, AR glasses, for example. 
And then for me in particular, when AR glasses become that size or become accessible from a, a um, just a simple head mounted display, which, which just look like your everyday ordinary glasses, that's when we see the addition of AR really, really taking off because that's when we don't just use it for gaming. We use it for literally everything in our everyday lives. It replaces the mobile phone. I was going to ask you about that. You, you got you got to the point I was going to ask you. So in a sense, at the moment where a lot of people, well, most of us are carrying around our smartphones and doing incredibly powerful things with them, things we wouldn't have thought about 10 or 15 years ago. Are you saying now then that these ideas of immersive technologies, you know, AR, VR, extended, uh, extended uh, reality, they'll just become part of what we do, our, rev- our everyday activities will include an element of this exactly that and what's interesting is like people are by nature impatient so when i speak to people about this they're like oh yeah but that's ages away but if you look at the progression of the mobile phone it was a good 10 years before it actually started to to become ubiquitous in, in everyone's pockets the same will happen from a, an ar vr perspective is you know we'll, we'll start off by having our phones well, the, the glasses may, or the head-mounted displays may link to the phones, for example, and most of the processing power will be done in the phones. But we're going to slowly uh, get to a position when infrastructure in our worlds uh, actually improve, when 5G technology, for example, actually becomes what has been promised. Um, and then what's going to happen is it allows the ability of these devices, which right now are clunky, are something that I wouldn't want to wear every single day, to become smaller, to become more refined, because all we're doing is essentially having a, a Netflix uh, that, that can stream every single thing to your device and, and no processing is done on that device. When that happens, every single person will be using this technology every single day as they would a laptop, as they would a phone. And this is what allows us to be interconnected in ways that we've never been able to before. So when I first found out about the committee and, and what its goals were and, and I guess what was happening, um, I immediately leaped at the opportunity to see how, first of all, AXR could be involved and then how I could be involved. Because I really do feel it's an important aspect for A, legitimizing a space and an industry and B, bringing together all these various different things uh, that are happening in this space in uh, under one roof in a way that everyone can can agree on. The biggest problem right now, and it's also an opportunity I'd like to add with the, the XR industry, is there isn't a rule book. Everybody is literally writing this rule book every day and you have someone halfway across the world writing a different rule book and you have someone over here writing another rule book. And this is great for innovation because it helps to, to grow these things. And I think standards should evolve and should grow with, with an industry, in particular for XR, because it, it is every single day evolving. But the problem with this is it makes it infinitely more harder to, to grow this space and grow this industry in a way that everyone can agree on. So if we can find ways to standardize certain aspects of this space, that, that others can agree on and that can be enforced, then this only serves to benefit the, the space and only serves to benefit not just businesses, but also consumers as well. So in terms of the things that sort of you're grappling with within the committee right now, then you've talked maybe there something about terms and terminology and that sort of thing. So are those the sort of challenges that you're facing as a, around the committee table, you know, bringing those stakeholders together to try and agree those terms? You know, what's, what's been the focus of your work so far? Yeah, I like to think of it that there's 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 these short term goals and then these, there's these long term goals. So I think there's there's 
quick wins and quick things that can be focused on such as terminology. I think that's important that everyone can agree on that because consumers do get confused when so many different people use different terms. Um, but, but that's a short-term goal, right? Um, long-term, we've got to be looking at a sustainable industry and, and also focus on, on the safety of people within these environments as well. So there's everything right now that we're looking at from health, uh, health and safety, when we look at how do enterprises, uh, location-based look, uh, um, entertainment businesses like arcades or theme parks, how do they clean headsets? How do they manage headsets? But then we also look at things like distribution that are long-term challenges of how do we standardize the way that we get these experiences out to people? How do we standardize the way that uh, people consume this content and, and should be looking at this stuff? Um, and then you have even longer, longer-term goals, which would focus around things like privacy, for example, when when you have headsets and uh, that are interconnected with your life so we're not just talking about a piece of hardware and technology here we're talking about something that you rely on for every it's something that to be able to work to be able to go to school to be able to do anything you would need to rely on this hardware this technology and this infrastructure and you're talking about hardware that can read your biometric data that can interact with your bank accounts and all these different things then all of a sudden, and, and I, I stress that this is a long, longer term thing. This isn't something that we're focusing on right now. But this is long term thinking in terms of how do we protect the privacy and safety of people as well in these environments? Because while a metaverse enables so many cool things, and I'm 100% for it, we need to do it in the right way as well. I suppose it's what you're describing there, Daniel, this this element of, of trust, really, where whenever you have a new technology entering the market, we're, there are always people who will be early adopters and, and look to see how they can work with it. But for a, a wider public consumption, there has to be an element of trust here. So we trust more and more the use of our mobile phones and other sorts of technology. But is that is, is what you're describing there the same sort of thing for immersive technologies? There's going to be a, a journey of trust for people. For sure, yeah. And, and the other area of this is, is not just trust for consumers, but I think we have a responsibility to get in front of this now before governments get on top of this. Um, the reason being is because um, in particular, you know, governments have a history of making decisions that don't necessarily reflect the best interests for, uh, for businesses or consumers because, simply because they just don't understand the technology. It's either that it takes a lot of time to implement things as a, as a government or it, it, it's not widely understood by enough people. So I think we have a responsibility to get in front of this now, set these standards and understand this and do, do the research necessary so that when governments do decide, hey, we should probably integrate some, some, uh, some policy around this or, or do this stuff here, they've got the tools and resources at their disposal as well to be able to implement that. And I think it's inevitable that that's going to happen. So we have a responsibility and duty to, to figure this stuff out now so that the decision makers uh, have, a, have, a, have a way to, to access those materials and resources uh, quickly. Um, I've got to ask you, as a, as a final question then, um, what's your favorite game? It's a really tough one uh, for anyone to ask me this um, because the, the first video game I actually played was Crazy Taxi. Um, which was on the PS2. You have 10 crazy minutes. Go ahead and pick a car and driver. Crazy Taxi originally was an arcade game, I think released in like 1999, and then brought to the PS2, I think in uh, 2001. So that's got a place in my heart, but 
if I was to say the most favorite game, it would probably be Minecraft because I, I just marvel at the the fact that this for me is the true the, the true first metaverse uh, example the true first sandbox environment where you can literally create anything so uh the very fact that i can go into that and i can create everything from a computer like a real computer in that game through to an adventure map that other people can play uh through to having you know the, the first origins of what roblox uh, was that's going to remain in my heart as, as a place for this. And, and I would really love to see that evolve with, with immersive technology as well. Do you want to help make people's lives easier, safer, and more enjoyable? If so, why not become a standards maker with BSI and have your say on the development of standards? Standards affect all of us every day, wherever we go, whatever we do. By defining good practice, they help people, organizations, the economy and society to do things better. We welcome applicants from all fields, backgrounds and career stages. Our goal is to have a balance of views around the table. If you want to make a difference and shape the world through standards, start your standards making journey now by visiting bsigroup.com forward slash get involved. Now, when Cindy and I had headed inside to meet Chris Gumby at AIXR, we were actually greeted by Daniel. Chris had dialed in Daniel from his base in Catania, I think just to rub in the fact that the temperature there was in the low 20s compared to the single digits that day in Colchester. But to be fair, it was a nice personal touch and a useful reminder about the power of technology and its ability to connect people in all sorts of ways. Now, as we mentioned earlier, Chris is Head of Membership and Strategic Alliances for AIXR. Before we had a go at using the VR headsets, Cindy and I sat down with Chris to ask him about his views on what excites him most about the applications for immersive technologies. But we started by asking him about the actual technology we'd be trying. So um, obviously the thing with virtual reality, I think, is you kind of have to see it to believe it a little bit. So we're going to jump into a few different experiences today. Um, In terms of equipment itself, we'll be using uh, the Oculus Quest 2, um, which is owned by Meta, Facebook. um, And that's probably the predominant headset that's been like used at home and those sorts of things. Um, A few advantages that it's untethered, so we're not gonna have to keep it connected to a computer or anything. We can just pop the headset on and dive straight in. Um, It's got what we would call six degrees of freedom. So um, typically what that means is uh, uh, older headsets, you'd be kind of in one place, you can turn your head and move. Um, look around that space but with these you can move through that physical space as well so we've got a nice open space here you can walk around in that Um, so yeah those are going to be what we're going to be trying out and hopefully some fun experiences how exciting (laughs) I can't wait to try that out so what would the equipment be typically used for so these um this equipment specifically is kind of taking the at-home XR space by storm. Um, and Meta did a huge amount when they released this to, to make it as accessible as possible, which is kind of the big thing for those. Typically, if you're a hobbyist and you want to play some VR games, you'd have to buy a headset that was maybe between 500 and 1,000 um, pounds. You would then have to buy a PC that was probably 1,000 plus pounds to run it um, and then have a decent space with... Um, like cameras and stuff around your room to track where you're going. So it was a pretty expensive hobby. Um, 
this is kind of an all-in-one it does everything itself um, and it costs 300 pounds so it's really sort of available for people at home to um, to kind of just bring that more into people's every day um, in fact we saw on Christmas Day um, 2021 uh, the Oculus Companion app was the number one app on the App Store for the day, which just showed how many people were suddenly getting these at Christmas, which was really cool. That's not to say there's not business applications. Um, we've got there's companies like Accenture who have just invested a ton of money into getting their workforce, like headsets. We're seeing more and more of these used in training because they're kind of accessible and cheap as well. Companies buying those, universities buying them, that sort of stuff too for other sort of bespoke applications. But you think the VR and extended reality and sort of immersive technologies, it's here now? It's going to be part of, of what we do and how we live and work yeah I think so um, I think the pandemic has done quite a bit for that sort of technology but um, what is really interesting I think this time around is there's always been a focus on gaming and, and entertainment for this this tech which is great because we'd all love to do that there's you, you see all the movies and um, read the books about it um, but what we're also seeing or what not a lot of people necessarily see is actually companies and businesses pouring huge amounts of investment and money into XR training experiences um, you know uh, non-local workforces and that sort of stuff healthcare actually starting to have an impact um, my my sister actually is a psychologist for the NHS she recently started at a new role and it was included in her training about the benefits of VR for psychology so if the NHS are using, like talking about this then uh, then no disrespect they're not always like front and centre on the technology if that funding and, and the um, ambition is getting there then that's a really interesting sort of uh, part of that so I think we're actually still a way off from like every single person in a home using this for gaming and it overtaking traditional gaming or traditional film. But actually in the business sense, we're probably closer to people using this on more of a day-to-day -day for, for business technology. Um, and that's just VR. We haven't really spoken about AR and those sorts of things, which will probably blur that line a little bit. Um, so I've heard that, you know, people sometimes feel a bit seasick mm -hmm. um, whilst using these headsets. Is there a particular type um, that causes more of this or is there a particular improvement? Should, should I put a bucket? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> <laughs> it's, exactly. it's actually a, a really important question and something that uh, there is this stigma about it and, and it probably comes from like a couple of years ago uh, most people's experience with virtual reality would have been um, like the cardboard headsets where you, you put your phone in a holder and then it puts you on like a virtual roller coaster um, or, or something like that and actually it can be disorientating and if you've got a, a visual stimulus going all right you're going this way you're moving here this is happening but then your your inner ear and your brain are going wait i'm not moving mm -hmm. um yeah essentially seasickness right motion sickness um and there is an element of people sort of say oh you need to find your vr legs and those sorts of stuff but actually there's a huge amount of work gone into that now um the current headsets with with um I guess just their fidelity and those sorts of stuff are a lot better. You have um, things like um, foveated rendering, which is, sounds very fancy, but it means that you can just focus on something that's in where your eye is looking um, and those are stuff which help like your peripheral vision. Movement in these is, is quite good. You can use a stick like a video game to move around or you've got teleportation and those sorts of stuff, which um, just all these things to help with comfort. There's a lot of settings and accessibility. Um, I, in all the times I've played around with these things, I think I've felt a little bit rough once. Um, and that's when I was like really pushing okay. some of the limits of what I can do. But I've put my um, my my wife's 82 year old grandma in this and let her play around with it. And she's absolutely fine. It's very accessible. And I think if a lot of people have that stigma about it from a couple of years ago, and they've tried something bad, and this is why we kind of want people to come and try it in better environments uh, because 
that's not really a huge issue anymore. Well, that's interesting you say that about it being sort of applicable for, for any, any age, really. I just wonder, in your experience then, what, what, what are you most excited about for the use of this technology? Yeah, I mean, for, for me personally, I'm, I'm still a big gamer and I'm still uh, all that sort of stuff. And um, I've seen it over the last few months, actually, like with some friends, replace my typical... PC gaming sessions and that sort of stuff. So that's obviously really fun from my point of view. But I think what's really great about it is going to be how it eases into other areas of life. Um, things like the psychology and healthcare aspects of it, like cognitive behavioral therapy and those sorts of things and creating safe spaces and environments for people to have this just treatment. Um, the use of it with dementia patients um, and those sorts of stuff to give people these experiences, the use of it in education. You kind of have a lot of people are visual learners, right? And those sorts of things, reading from a textbook or having a lecture is one thing, being put into a space is, is a whole other, uh, other thing entirely. Um, but then as this comes out more, there's rumors about uh, well, we know Facebook are working or Meta are working on AR glasses that we anticipate people to wear on a day-to-day. -day. Apple are working on a device. So there's more and more people coming into this. It's getting more competitive. And I think it's always already really interesting to see the stuff that people are coming up with and using this technology for. So um, I am probably biased, but I'm a genuine believer that it will be a part of people's everyday. Um, and like a lot of households will have a device of some kind uh, in the same way that the phone has become kind of ubiquitous. So I think it's just seeing what people could do is exciting. Shall we, uh, shall we have a go? Yes, let's do cool. this. <laughs> Dive in. Uh, we'll put these on so in case you feel like you need to throw them about or anything, okay. that's fine. Um, and then if you hold it exactly like that, okay. so just as a quick sort of thing, you've yeah. got a trigger at the back, yeah. um, so you know, point and shoot like a gun if you okay. need to. Um, and then you've already started doing it, this grip in the middle. Yeah. If you want to grip something, you grip it, okay. essentially. Um, this Sorry. ring can kind of detect where your thumb and stuff is. So you want to okay. give it a thumbs up, you give it a thumbs up, and that okay. sort of stuff too. Um, you've got a stick here, which you can pop your sort of thumb on. You won't probably need to use that right now, but that's you can move around and okay. those sorts of things. So, like, well. if I walk, am I moving? In but the... if you walk, you're okay. moving around okay. as well. One says, "Well, there's <laughs> right. a wall here. Good there's like some bags and that sort of stuff <laughs> on there." What's really great about this is, as a, it's called a guardian system. So I've okay. set it up. If you get too close to here. Um, there's Sorry, cameras on the front of here. Mm -hmm. They'll go through so you'll be able to see where you are. Okay. And there'll be a wall that comes up in virtual so you'll know you're getting close okay. to it. So the walls are normal, as in the walls are a thing in virtual reality yes. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you shouldn't trip over anything. You should be absolutely fine. All right. Um, so, so there's you got your two controllers. Well, this is quite cool. So I can see on the screen here what Cindy's, what Cindy's looking at. Yeah. Oh, great. How does that feel? Yep, feels wonderful. Feels like I'm about to step into a red world. <laughs> Okay, and just to quickly show you so you know what to expect, if you just um, just turn 90 degrees to your left. My left? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so you did the hands there, didn't you? Yeah, I know. Uh, if, if, you, if you just start moving towards forwards very slowly, you should get oh, like a wall pop up. Ah, uh, yeah. Yep, gotcha. so can you see that? Yep. So that will tell you when you're getting close to something. All right. So, <laughs> so I was just explaining there that Cindy nearly uh, took my head off there with moving her arm. I've got to, I'll just stand back. I wanted to touch the palm trees. <laughs> so what we've got on the screen here, Kristen, so we've got a bas basically a, like a, a screen inside the screen that yeah, Cindy's wearing. Yeah, exactly that. Sorry. Do you want me to press? Uh, no, you to, oh, yeah, go. you see first steps? Yep. Just Are you going to make me dance? Uh, no, not okay, yet. Good. Oh, I hadn't yeah. thought about that, but that's a great idea. <laughs> Not, not yet. Okay, so uh, this is. I can't see anything. It will, it will okay. come. It should come. 
So what have you got for the announcements? Just a lot of light. Ooh. Where am I? In a forest? How In the ocean. I see fishies. And how's the sensations? How's the what? Sensations. Great. I feel like I'm in the place, in the room. The sounds are very loud and good. Wow. This is beautiful. It's really like... Now, I had mentioned earlier when Matthew and I chatted to Chris, before I had a go with the headset, that I was genuinely worried about feeling seasick. This was because I have heard that although VR provides a user with an out-of-body experience and that it may be the wave of the future for some people, but for others, it was a wave of nausea. And as I struggle with motion sickness in general, I was quite skeptical. But actually, I didn't experience any of these feelings. It all felt like a very natural experience, like I was physically and mentally there in the virtual location. I could even go as far as saying that at one point, I felt the warm, humid air and forgot that I was in the AIXR studio in Colchester. Now you've got um, in front of you again now we have some cartridges if you look down at the table. Yeah. Um, so you've got two cartridges here. You've got either a shooting game or a dancing game. Oh gosh, shooting. Oh, I'm gonna shoot. <laughs> I'm gonna shoot. <laughs> I think uh, so uh, you just probably just need to move. You've left your table tennis racket on top of the uh, on top of the thing. So if you just pick that up, just lob that out of the way, that's fine. And then yeah, pop the cartridge in. Oh wow, so, so you're actually putting the cartridge inside, yeah. you're not just picking the screen, it's yeah. as if you're yeah, putting so the cartridge in the game. The and then I need to push the button. Oh no. So if you just point and push it with your finger, as you would and... Ah, right, that's it. So, it's, so what's happening now, Sydney? Now there's some light beaming out of the console. It's taking me to a different room, I'm guessing. Oh, wow. Now I get to select a gun. There are three options here. Um, I'll press the first one. Okay, the gun has appeared in front of me. I'm gonna grab the gun. Oh wow, okay. Now there's a countdown. Ooh! Okay, so I'm just shooting shapes and making some points. One, seven, five, two, two, five. Oh, she's pretty good at this. Yeah. I've been practicing. Is this sort of dark secret what, here? You've yep. got very good, uh, good with guns? Yes, I am. I actually went um, clay pigeon shooting and I wasn't too bad at that. <laughs> oh, wow. This, whoa, it's now coming at me. Okay. Stay away. Very good. What's that touch score? Oh no, she's still going. 
Matthew, we need to see how, ma how many points you're going to make. Oh, I see. I'm <laughs> it's yeah, a okay, right. You're a competition. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, you're at two over 2,000. Over 2,000. Yeah. Okay. This is my concentration phase. Yeah, I'm sorry. Very I good. No, yeah. You, after the commentary. So Sydney's still firing <laughs> at the... the um, at the blocks Ooh, and high score 2950 now guys where is that score. is that good is that any good <laughs> yeah, score. There you, go. you were very you concentrated a lot on that yeah, yeah. i i tend to take things very seriously <laughs> I just wonder who you were pretending you were shooting at but maybe oh, no one in particular <laughs> so chris you've taken taken cindy's hand controls away now so what's going on here yeah, so another functionality that the Quest has is the ability to do hand tracking as well as controller tracking. So there's a few great experiences on there and we're just diving into one of these now where instead of using a controller, you just use your hands. So you can interact with the space. Um, I mean, it's a, a lot more natural with, you know, gripping and picking stuff up. Um, a lot of people are working on glove controllers and things like that too for these sorts of inputs, but it's quite a good I really um, like functionality for that. And how, Cindy, how does that feel as a, as a different sensation? Um, I personally prefer this one a bit more. It feels, yeah, it's just easier to navigate because I don't need to think about um, pressing certain buttons. It's just using my hands. So, so this is teleporting, Chris. So it's teleporting to a different part of the game? Yeah, so um, like I sort of said earlier, one of the important things, especially for sickness and things like that as well, is locomotion within a game. So um, not everyone has a massive play space to play in. Uh, and also... Um, physically moving through a space that you're not physically moving through can be disorientating so a lot of things have this sort of teleportation motion in there so you'll be able to just jump from one place to the other it means you get a lot less like if there is any motion sickness it'll be a lot less and you can kind of build out how big your space is i can light candles with my bare hands i just go poof and it lights up i've always wanted to do that this is amazing i have superpowers I'm supposed to go wash my hands, but I can't <laughs> figure out where I'm supposed to go. Ah, right. Okay, I'm going to go to the little... You're getting instructions mountain. from this strange voice, aren't you? Yeah. Now I'm going to wash my hands. Ooh. Okay, so I killed one eyeball. Where are the other ones? We seem to have lost. Cindy now is very much immersed in this game. She's uh, ignoring uh, Chris and I, and just she's just she's just <laughs> I'm into it now. It. <laughs> oh, what's up? What's up to your hands now, Cindy? They're pink and they've they've got scales and nails on it. Yeah, great nails. Though. Yeah, I know. Well, maybe I'll one's keep pink, this one. One pink, one blue, by the looks of it. Could you have the hand? Close the fist on the. Uh, oh wow! And I've got. Oh. What's up? You now you've got some spikes coming. Exactly. Out. Oh! Cindy has just Cindy just whacked me in the back of the head. So that's uh, your proper a proper. Yeah, I know. I wanted to use my new equipment. Is that you, you just know? waited until you got the spikes to do that? Exactly. I was waiting. I was waiting to do this all day. So that, I think that's uh, Chris did say when we were getting uh, starting of this. Um, to stand stand well back, and I uh, I should have heeded his advice there because Cindy gave me a good whack in the back <laughs> of the neck. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I think I caught all the eyes. Yeah. Wonderful. So, what did you did you were using there? Did you had one one go when you were using the controllers, and then yeah. one using your hands? Exactly. What felt the most natural? That's a very good question. I personally thought that using the hands would feel more natural, but I'm 
more inclined to say that using the controller felt a bit more natural because you know we've all played some sort of video games uh, whilst growing up and that sort of intuitive motion is there um, so I did prefer that and I think with using your hands you just need to really listen to the instructions which I couldn't hear because you were chatting away <laughs> um, yeah to you know because uh, we had to make a triangular shape and look into it and then pinch to teleport. So that was a new concept. Um, so it was, it was just a matter of getting the idea in my head and then using it. So then it was pretty straightforward and I, I really enjoyed both. It was absolutely fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Chris, you were speaking earlier on actually about the, about that as sort of a, the evolving technology. You mentioned about the gloves and things. Is that, I mean, what do you think would be the natural progression here for the technology? Not using the controllers or, or where, do you think, where would it go next, do you think? Yeah, so this whole area of haptics, um, which essentially is other um, tools or controllers or inputs that give you feedback, um, is is being developed quite a lot. Uh, so CES um, has just happened in Vegas, um, big electronics show. And there's a lot of haptic technology on sale, uh, on sort of show there. Glove controllers are kind of a natural progression because the cameras on here are fairly good at detecting what shape your hands make, but actually being able to have um, a glove that really like sort of finely detects your, your hands and also can give you feedback through your fingers. I mean, there's a certain element when you pick up a ball, it kind of feels like it. If you can have that where it kind of gives a little bit of resistance mm. to your hands. Not necessarily just for entertainment, but also for training functions. If you think if you're training somebody for a production line, right? How do you build those motor functions using a controller to simulate that? Not necessarily right doing those. Now, after Cindy, it was my turn to have a go. But as it was the same headset, it needed cleaning. So I asked Chris about that. So, uh, Chris, you put this, uh, we've got the headset here in a rather strange little, what would you describe that, Cindy? It's like a sort of a glass box. Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah, so this is a clean box. Um, so it's uh, one of a couple of companies that do this sort of technology. Um, this is designed specifically for headsets, but it essentially uses UV light to clean the headset. Um, it was made before the pandemic, obviously pretty good timing. <laughs> well, not, that sounds pretty insensitive, not necessarily good timing, but obviously it worked out really well with having that. And they're used quite a lot amongst out of home VR space cleaning headsets between people using them and stuff like that is quite difficult if you're going to wipe out the, the pads obviously it's on your face so it's quite difficult but um uvc light i think this uses has been really well proven for, for cleaning these headsets so you pop it in it takes a couple of minutes and then it's ready to go so is this how most headsets are cleaned or is this this sort of latest technology in, in itself uh this is this is fairly new technology i think some places still you know wipe down headsets and wipe down controllers and that sort of side of things um but it's kind of a good alternative um that, that can be fairly expensive i think uh, there's a couple of other companies that are still working on those sorts of things too uh we, there's a company called uvasan who do a similar sort of tech and they can do a whole room setup so they can uv clean a, a whole room full of equipment and those sorts of things as well but it's kind of a nice less intrusive way to do it it's also very visual you put it in a box you press a button it makes a noise the lights come on um and that's a good confidence boost as well for customers when um they want to know things are clean they want to know you're going through those processes and that's half of the stuff with us now people have always been cleaning headsets people have always taken hygiene seriously way before um the pandemic but now you kind of need a very visual showcase so what are we doing here chris what do i do so you've got that uh, you see that little icon in front of you it's yeah. you to just pop that little cartridge down on there so if you um so you can you can move forward in the space you've got plenty of move forward yeah so <gasps> i've just pushed down a console i sort of pushed down a lid on something here and now it's it's a ro it's a robot that is now moving 
Hello. Oh. <laughs> and it's like flying around the room. And it's flown away from me. No, oh, it's now it's hiding. Can I go through here? Yeah. Can I walk through here, Chris? Um, you can do. You don't need to go. Oh, okay. Don't press. Oh, so it's a, sort of a it's a a, um, a workbench here. And now the now the robot's waving at me. And now I'm waving back. Oh no. <laughs> oh, I see. We're playing. We're playing. Oh, yeah. yeah hello. Hello. Come on. Come over here. Now those childlike squeals were quite revealing to me. What I was presented with was an incredibly rich and layered environment. The depth of field was astonishing and it was encouraging me, almost beckoning me to look closer and closer and fully immerse myself in it. And the little robot that popped up in front of me was so vivid and its actions so lifelike that I thought it was entirely reasonable for me to say hello and expect it to respond. Do you have a name, robot? And now I've got a, um, oh, I forgot what these are. It's like they used to have at football matches. What are they called when you swing it around? What's, I can't remember the name of them. What's it called? I can't remember the name of them. Just a lot of noise. It's like a foot, an old football rattle that you turn around and it's... Um, I kind of remembered it right. It's actually called a ratchet or rattle or noise maker, an instrument with actually quite a rich and varied musical and cultural history. But I was thinking of it in the context of a football crowd, you know, from those black and white Pathé newsreels with men in cloth caps whirling their rattles around their heads. They were actually banned in football stadiums in the UK in the 1970s to prevent them being used as weapons. But to be honest, by this point, they're pretty much out of fashion anyway. I like this place. I've forgotten you two are here. Yeah, yeah there you go. You're in a whole new world. Right, right. Okay, he's very insistent, this robot. Let's get rid of that one. Okay. So I'm grabbing an orange one now. We've got another cartridge. Put that into the 3D printer. And what's it printing now? What have we got here? Oh, it's a gun. I was waiting for the gun, yeah. I was waiting for the gun. So I'm putting that... So if I grab... Oh, got it. Oh! Now I'm shooting at these sort of like little blobs, pink blobs, like space invaders. Oh, that's, that's fun. I like that. This is like being in an episode of Star Wars, isn't it? See, I don't care about talking now. Like you, Cindy, I just want to shoot everything. Exactly. Like you were doing earlier on. Yeah. Right, I should have said earlier on, my, my 11-year-old son is insanely envious of me coming here today. <laughs> and he'd be, he's been lobbying me for one of these headsets for a while. And I think... Um, I think I might get one. <laughs> for me. Yeah, not him. No. Oh, sorry, I've just shot the robot. He's, he's fine about it. Oh, I can hit things. Yeah, this is the gun. We'll hit anything over. That's hilarious. It's like a paintball. So how do you like it, Matthew? It's uh, what you said earlier on about how quickly you adapt to it. So grabbing the, picking things up was a, was a bit difficult to begin with, mm -hmm. but I think I've got that now. But you just get into the space and start to play with it yeah. straight away. You'd almost because you don't need to be told what to do yeah. you kind of figure it out for yourself and I suppose that's with any good technology isn't it you already know how to use it exactly. and then you just start playing with it I suppose what's incredibly impressive is just how rich and detailed the environment is the colors the sort of you can see the textures really teleports you into it's, the yeah. yeah you are in it yeah. 
and you kind of want to stay here. <laughs> That's the thing. You, um, I'm not rushing to take this off. You just want to sort of absorb it, really, and uh, yeah. look look at the fine detail. Really? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that's actually the thing about um, you know, when you, you, the concern is like, will it make you feel ill, yeah. or like, you know, is it going to be disorientating? And um, but actually, you, you can spend hours comfortably in there, and, and it's time to get there with work. And and I spend I'm not special for doing this, but like a couple months ago, I spent a day working in there. Um, Horizon uh, Workrooms came out for Oculus, which is a, a meta app, and it simulates a desktop and meeting room. And I was like, right, I'm going to spend a day in here and work in here. Um, and I did, and it was perfectly fine. And you know, like, you come out, and it's a bit like, oh, the real world isn't quite as bright, but uh, yeah, it's good. I just think of something really. I'm going to be. This might sound really boring here, Chris, but meetings, right? Yeah. Has this been used? And I'll, I'll give you the context for it in a second. But has is is this being used? Is technology being used? to simulate meetings of people going beyond teleconferences and sitting down with Zoom and sitting down with people that you already know. Is that happening at all? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and um, there's lots of different applications for that. And if you think about the limitations of Zoom, I mean, how many of us work over Zoom or Google Meets or whatever it might be. Um, and the, the limitation of that is, you know, maybe you'll have your camera on most of the time, hopefully you will. But can you detect body language? Can you detect like expressions and, and those sorts of things? Some headsets are coming out with better, better face tracking now, so they can track your emotions and intentions and those sorts of things. And so, being in a room around a table with a whiteboard, where you can get up and talk and move around and draw and express, is is a lot better. Microsoft brought out a, um, a but sort of concepts, but it's not. Um, uh, there's actually technology around that of like these mixed reality, like this sort of future for there, um, and there's the idea that. Um, us three could be here in a physical space together and then uh, we could also have augmented reality glasses um, and we can see our colleagues avatar mm -hmm. pop into the room with us and join us in that physical space and show us you know an architecture model or something like that um, and there's that combination of and this is I guess the future what everyone's trying to work towards VR shouldn't replace what you're doing in the real world there's that amazing things where you can go to space and shoot aliens and that's cool but it's about uh, optimizing and, and improving on the stuff we're already doing. So you're already working together. Mm -hmm. We're now able to work together across the world, but can you replicate someone coming into your room? Actually, if you can have their avatar pop in, events, those sorts of things, while you're still there in real life, it's, it's those combinations, that mixed reality, which is important. Now, at the end of my go at using the virtual reality headset, Chris had raised the issue of accessibility. You were talking there about the, the accessibility of the, of the technology. I think these headsets are £299, around mm -hmm. £300. Yep. I just wonder, you know, how how much did that come down compared to what they used to be sort of four or five years ago? And what do you, at what point do you think people would just sort of buy these as they might regularly upgrade their phone or something like that? When, when, where are we with in the sort of development of that technology yeah, and pricing? It's a, it's a really interesting cycle because it's kind of in that point where there's almost a better one coming out every year or there could be. I think Oculus made an intentional decision last year when they hit the year mark with this to not release an Oculus Quest Pro or those sorts of things. There, there are improved headsets coming, but I think they're really keen to say like, this device is here to stay. There may be iterations, but you're not gonna get outdated because actually controversially when they bought this out, they discontinued the previous ones and they stopped supporting them. So that, that was really tricky. And that's because of the hardware or software? Issue. I think maybe a combination. And I think they just wanted to fully commit and go, right, we're now all in on, on this one. But this one is, yeah, like you said, about 300 pounds, I think. Uh, not necessarily confirmed, but I think really they're probably selling it at a loss because they know that the 
building the ecosystem is much more important and they're in a privileged position to be able to do that as a company obviously one thing to be aware of there's a huge amount of data that you can gather from this right and that's a big thing for people about so, privacy and so they dom- there's no other they're dominant in the market there's no other market I'd say the at home VR market they're, mm-hmm. they're very dominant HP HTC are shifting much more to enterprise use um, there's other amazing companies out there um, uh, a company based in Finland I think called Vario they make uh, 8k um, HD headsets uh, that are able for full HD pass through as well so with, with this sorry what that means is when you get close to a wall you kind of get that grainy black and white so you know where you're going that's got true to life digital cameras on there as well for, for that mixed reality so some amazing headsets being made that is not necessarily accessible for home market and all, all operating on the same platform or similar platforms this is the other thing as well right so not necessarily so Facebook say we're building the metaverse um, that's kind of cool but also the metaverse needs to be something bigger. It needs to be accessible. It needs to have loads of uh, one platform. Facebook building their metaverse and someone else building another isn't a sustainable model. That's kind of like, I don't know, Google saying, well, we're going to build our internet and you can either use ours or you can use someone else. Like, it doesn't really work. So um, I think Facebook, Meta, whatever, are doing a lot of really great stuff for this space. Uh, We just need to make sure that it continues to be an open ecosystem. And this is where it gets kind of hairy, but you get a lot of stuff around the decentralization with cryptocurrencies, NFTs, all, all that's kind of in the same conversation because it is about that open platform that people are aware so of. So it's a, ch- a challenge for the sector and for standards. Yeah, exactly that. How do you how do you standardize something that by its nature doesn't want to be centralized and, and governed? Um, and, you know, if you were to reinvent the internet or start set up the internet today, would you do things the same way? Probably not. There might be some things you change, but that came about fairly organically. And that's kind of the point that XR is in at the moment. Um, so, you know, what decisions are made with that? How do you how do you standardize that? How do you uh, control it without restricting it? My favorite standard. My name's Alice Kasassian-Brown, and I'm Senior Policy Manager at BSI. And my favourite standard is BS 1970 on hot water bottles. I actually found choosing a favourite standard really tough. I've been at BSI for 13 years, and in that time I have developed a genuine fondness for quite a few of them. Sometimes it's the content matter that appeals, sometimes it's because of how much I enjoyed working with the drafting panels on those standards in my days as an editorial project manager. In the end, though, it had to be this one. A lot of people might not know it exists, but I think it actively contributes to their well-being at this time of year when it's freezing outside. I came across BS 1970 when I worked on a new edition of it in 2012, though it's actually been around since 1953. I returned from maternity leave in January of that year, and this project was waiting on my desk for me. With a baby, I'll be honest, I was still up on a fairly regular basis in the middle of the cold nights, and it was a freezing winter. So working on this standard felt very apt, as I was using my hot water bottles, and yes, I do have more than one, rather a lot, both for me and also to warm up my daughter's cot before I put her down to sleep. Well, I say sleep. Sadly, even a warm cot didn't have magical properties. Of course, once I'd seen the standard, I made sure I checked mine for the BS 1970 mark. I also became weirdly interested in working out exactly when they were manufactured, based on the date daisies, as the standard explains how these work. I couldn't understand why my husband didn't find this as fascinating as I did. He did, however, admit that my love of hot water bottles was justified, since it stopped me from putting my icy feet on him to warm up. As I worked on the project, 
I found it reassuring to find that hot water bottles are tested in so many ways. Leakage, strength, pressure, tensile properties, tearing. They're also tested after ageing to mimic the need in real life for the product to still be safe after years of use. Hot water bottles are not designed to be sat on or lain on, but the standard still ensures that they're put under 0.9 kilonewtons, so, you know, think of around 14 stone, of pressure 500 times in one test to guard against injury. But for me, BS1970 is just a great example of what standards do that people can really connect with. Everyone can understand the need for hot water bottles to be safe. After all, you're talking about something filled with scalding water that you might well be putting in your children's beds at night. Over the last few years, I volunteered several times at a local school talking about careers. Instead of trying to explain in theoretical terms to the students what standards are, I take along a bag of things from around my house to demonstrate the importance of standards in their day-to-day lives. And the first thing I take out of the bag is my hot water bottle. I explain that it's been tested according to the standard, so we know it's not going to leak or split. We have confidence that it's not going to burn us. We don't need to read the standard or try out the tests ourselves. Seeing the BS 1970 mark on the bottle is enough. And then the students get it. They really have a demonstration of why standards matter to everyone. Since that first maternity leave, I've had a second. My daughters are now 8 and 11, and between them, they have a variety of hot water bottles in furry animal covers that they've been given. What they all have in common is that vital BS 1970 stamp. So there we have it. One of my favourite things, kept safe by my favourite standard, BS 1970. Now, as we've been hearing, the gaming industry has been one of the first movers of immersive technology. To explore this a bit more, I spoke to Chapman Lee, quality assurance tester at URND. Now, like Daniel, Chapman has a background in and passion for video games, including studying them at university. And he's also a member of IST31. I spoke to him about some of the key technological developments in the history of immersive technologies from the 1980s onwards and how technologies that had started being used for gaming then started being adapted for use in areas such as healthcare. But I started by asking him about what he would like to see in terms of standards development. I I want to see the standards being unified in the sense that every single developer, or regardless if it's technology in the video games or hardware itself, kind of have a unified way of creating things where it's easily accessible for everyone to use and it's easily understood. So what benefits, I mean, compared to what's happening now, then what benefits will that bring to the industry? Um, But if we have a set of standards as a baseline created, that makes this allows people to think outside the box and be creative with what they're making. What have been the key developments in the history of AR and VR and, and immersive technologies over the years? Um, so from the technology standpoint, I think the key starting point uh, for this is around the 1980s. This was when the concepts of VR and XR and immersion was actually first looked into. So during the 1980s, this was where uh, prototypes of VR goggles and gloves were developed and used for uh, training of pilots and astronauts. Even NASA used it. 
which then kind of funny enough, Sega and Nintendo saw into this and f- saw the kind of gamification side of it and started creating VR machines, which players could use and play video games. And then kind of following that, there was a kind of a stop because of the failure of Virtual Boy, which was the Nintendo's VR machine, which then caused kind of like the entire virtual world and virtual reality, augmented reality to stay dormant for a long time, which wasn't until I think 2007, which was another big point in the AR VR history, which is the release of the Apple iPhone. So the Apple iPhone isn't a VR or AR machine, but why it was so key to this was because that triggered the entire smartphone war between Android and iPhone. This, this smartphone war basically allowed developers to start creating more powerful games because newer phones with much more powerful technology in a smaller form factor was being created. And then I think after that, I would say the 2012 and 2014 period was a key development point because this was the resurgence of VR in public. Uh, with the, it kind of started with the Oculus system, and then an April Fool's joke by Google, where they kind of created the Google Maps Pokemon challenge, which led to the creation of Pokemon Go and leading AR games being a household name because of the mass success of Pokemon Go. And then Nintendo looked into speaking with, I think, Niantic during that period because they were one of the first people around the world that created AR games with geolocation. And due to that, that that kickstarted the whole AR craze. Uh, And then kind of from that point where VR and AR became household names, the research just started taking a different spin. I mean, people stopped looking at it as something like for training, but they started looking at it for medical uses and healthcare. So an example of this was Snow World. They used VR headsets and created an icy tundra environment for burn victims to view so they could go through therapy during that time and relieve pain. One of the other biggest influence, which is actually an independent study by, uh, I believe it's the University of South Australia, where they created the first ever portable ocular, oh no, portable virtual reality device, where they attached a computer to the back of someone and using a head-mounted display, they applied the game Quake into the real world, where they mapped the university campus into the computer itself, and then the user could pick up items, shoot, and fight enemies from the game Quake, and taking the user's real-world input from every movement they took, they moved inside that virtual world as well. And from that, we now have the whole VR scene, and we even have a VR esports uh, called the VR Masters League, where actually it started around 2017, where people started competing with AR and VR games, and it's now become a major part of the gaming industry. So, would you say, you know, this this where we are now with uh, immersive technologies has gaming had, I mean, almost disproportionate influence on the development of these technologies? It's all is it almost all down to gaming? No, I wouldn't say it's all down to gaming. I would say gaming is a major kickstarter for this. It isn't all down to just gaming. It's all down to people thinking about the healthcare system, about that. But I think more it's the gaming that brought it to public use, made it much more widely available, which led to this. 
And having worked in this field now for, for some time, you know, what, what excites you most about the application of these technologies? I think it's the limitless potential that could happen because there's a lot going on with this. Uh, people aren't just thinking that VR is now something where it used to be you had to sit down and put something on your head and you had to be motionless for hours on end. It's now something where you could actually put on and simulate being in that world, moving in the real world while moving in the virtual world. And all your actions and reactions are taken in to that game and applied to it. Now, you've mentioned, obviously, we've talked about gaming a lot, and obviously you're, you're immersed in that area. So I've got to ask you, what's your favourite game? My favourite game is, surprisingly, it's a very niche game. It's called Kingdom Hearts. So it's a, it's a game where it combines Disney and Square Enix, which is the Final Fantasy series, into a kind of world where it talks about people's hearts being taken and consumed by darkness, greed, and all the bad things. I've been having these weird thoughts lately. And you're fighting with love and trying to bring light back to the world. Like, is any of this for real or not? Now, I can't leave this conversation with Chapman without telling you about what happened before we started the interview. While we were getting ready to record, I had apologised to Chapman for calling him Lee at a previous meeting, which I blamed on the fact that Lee Chapman was a footballer for Leeds United and many other football clubs from the late 1970s to the mid-1990s. Luckily, I had the tape recording because, well, what he told me next left me almost speechless. People call me Lee Chapman and they keep thinking about the football player. Surprisingly, from what my mother told me, she used to own a restaurant and he would frequent it. And it was to a point that he would pick me up as a child and play with me. So my mom chose to name me after him. But at the time when she was filling out my birth certificate, she, she wrote it the wrong way because of how Chinese write surnames first. So hence, I became Chapman Lee. <laughs> Chapman, this is absolutely amazing because when I, when I started preparing for this episode and I was search, we did a bit of searching, obviously Lee Chapman jumps up as one of the first, first search items on Google. So I was expecting you to tell me then about, oh yeah, I'm always, you know, mixed up and it's the, the way that Chinese people would put the, put, put the surname first. I didn't realise that actually there's a connection to you and Lee Chapman itself, himself. Yeah, I can't yeah, believe that. Yeah, this is what my mum told me as a kid. So um, there were photos of him actually visiting my mum's restaurant. <laughs> this is incredible. Oh, well, my apologies then. After that time in our first meeting, me calling you Lee all that time, I wasn't really wrong because it's both in both in both your names. But I really, I wasn't sure we were going with that. I don't mind it. I, I'm actually used to. It. I don't mind being called either Lee or Chapman. Are you a postgraduate studying at a UK university? Do you have a research idea or project that involves standards in some way? Well. If so, BSI Student Research Program can help. The way it works is simple. We gain valuable information about an area of interest to our standards work, while you can benefit from mentorship to support your project and the chance to gain knowledge and exposure that may increase your future employability. To find out more about the program, including case studies of previously supported projects and how to apply, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. 
We complete our episode with Joy Tan. Joy started her standards journey with the Singapore Standards Council, working on food safety standards, which in her own words, gave her an appetite for standards. Now with BSI, Joy is Senior Standards Manager responsible for standards in the digital sector, such as cybersecurity, cloud computing, and immersive technologies, including the IST31 committee. I started by asking Joy about the reasons behind BSI wishing to develop standards in immersive technologies. Yeah, so BSI has actually, um, you know, we've we've had our traditional strengths and work groundwork that we've done in the 27,000 series. And really, we wanted to look beyond that. We wanted to make sure that we're uncovering every single new area of technological development. And really, AR, VR came up on our radar. And, and that was also why um, BSI actually commissioned a white paper sometime in 2017. So it was a white paper developed um, to basically uncover what are some of the new areas of standards development needs in AR, VR, the AR, VR sector. So that was really like um, the launch pad, I would say, for going in deeper into AR, VR work. It, it kind of um, surveyed the field to see what exactly is needed in, in this whole AR, VR landscape. And how can BSI really play a more active role in meeting those needs through standards? And through that white paper, we actually came up with, uh, sorry, we actually organized um, a workshop as well, an industry workshop, just to make sure, you know, we sense check our findings and also to see really what is the industry um, pulse out there, just to see, you know, are these findings indeed valid? Um, uh, are they aligned with what we found out? And we did um, meet with quite a lot of uh, interested companies. So th- these these companies and individual experts have indeed come on board um, onto our National Standards Community Committee. So that's IST31. Um, but yeah, that that's a uh, kind of like the journey we did. Uh, we did realize that this is a new area of growth, and we haven't done anything in this space before. We've always been so entrenched into our traditional um, IT cybersecurity standards. And really it's about venturing out to make sure we cover all grounds and also uncover new opportunities for the NSB itself. So we had that white paper there and you mentioned about Mm. uh, sort of convening that conversation with with organisations and stakeholders in the industry, and so it did. It did that. Did that conversation directly lead then to establishing the committee you mentioned there, IST thirty one? Yes, it did. So basically, what happened was, um, you know, in those workshops, we run through the findings from the white paper, and really, it's it's just to hear the ground sentiments to see if you know are these indeed valid, are they true, and and so far, um, we've we've had quite a good response. With that good response in terms of you know agreement on the fact that these are some areas that we want to look into for ARVR, so I can give you some examples right now. Um, some of the things that we've we've uncovered is really the concept of safety. Would there be a need for setting guidelines for the ideal immersion duration, and also setting ARVR play zone boundaries to prevent cyber sickness, and ensure physical safety. So these were some of the ideas that's that's uh, sprung forth from those discussions, and you know we've also talked about 
with AR VR, of course, it, it will inevitably go into data security. So another sec a second priority area for standards development was also to ensure that consumer confidence in, this, in, in the security of their data, uh, particularly when it comes to user authentication and identity management, because you know when you wear AR VR wearables, um, it's going to capture a great deal of your surroundings, mm -hmm. be it your home or the workplace. And it's going, of course, it's going to amass a whole, um, a whole database of your voice recording as well. We also wanted to, with standards, of course, we want to make sure that there's cloud, there are standards that safeguard cloud connectivity um, because we don't want the users to be exposed to vulnerabilities such as data interception. And also theft of network credentials, right? Because, you know, when you're on all these AR, VR devices and consoles, you just never know how much of it is actually stored permanently in the cloud <laughs> and what, what happens to those data, you know. But the committee itself was actually formed in 2020, sometime in mid-2020. Um, mid so after that industry workshop, we basically um, took, you know, uh, took the chance to actually invite them on board uh, into this new committee. So we scoped out what this committee would look after. Um, and really, it's it's been formed to look at standards in the area of health, safety, security, and usability of augmented and virtual reality. And you mentioned uh, a second ago, Joy, some of the, the areas of standards that are being developed. I just wonder which is the first one, you know, what which one is the first standard that's going to be published from this particular committee? Two standards that will be coming out from this committee are firstly the cleanliness guidelines for ARVR devices in enterprise setting, and also ARVR safety guidance on safe immersion setup and usage. But I would add, Matthew, that um, with this new committee, we do want to take a more active uh, UK stance in this space. So it is quite likely that we will be looking to developing British standards as well. We won't just be taking a lead from ISO and IEC. So obviously, Joe, you talked there about, obviously, we have a the BSI committee, IST31. I'm just thinking, how does the standards development work that's taking place within the committee, chair, chaired by Daniel? How does that connect with work that's taking place maybe at European and international level on the issue around standards and immersive technologies? So, you know, with in the space of standards development, we always want to make sure that we're not we're developing globally relevant standards, right? So it's important that we stay plugged in to what's happening internationally. And this co committee here, IST31, is really a national mirror committee. So that's the UK's um, very own standards committee that provides specific input to an ISO IEC committee, which is which is called ISO IEC. Now, this sounds like a, a mouthful, but it's a Joint Technical Committee 1, Subcommittee 24. We love, so that, we love our technical references. Don't worry about that at all. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like an alphabet soup. I'm so sorry about that. But <laughs> So but it's I, I see, ISO IC JTC1. Yes, that's right. JTC1, SC24, Computer Graphics, Image Processing, and, and Environmental Data Representation. I know it sounds, it, that's a very long uh, title, but really this international subcommittee also looks into AR and VR work. Um, so, yeah, the IST31 really is providing UK-specific inputs. When, when I say inputs, yeah, I mean technical contributions to the draft and also scoping um, the standard itself, what's it, what it's going to cover, 
what the draft would look like, what kind of areas and sustainable development goals it would be fulfilling. So the, this um, IST31 committee is, is actually tasked to do that. And, you know, within this subcommittee 24, there is a working group specifically dedicated to ARVR standards in this space, and that would be working group 11. And so working group 11 is really tasked with developing standards to ensure various forms of immersive tech can be used safely and efficiently by enterprises and consumers. And this work would really um, go into the space of um, the safe, you know, physical safety itself, health and safety, data security, um, and usability, how intuitive, how user-friendly, um, you know, is, is the interface between devices and the speaker, not speakers, the user's actual um, you, you know, habits of using the device itself. So, yeah, that's how we, you know, our national work and body of experts will relate to the international space. So, Joy, I asked Daniel and I asked uh, Chapman this question, so I can't leave you out here. So, mm-hmm. what's your favourite game? Oh, without a doubt, hands down, the Final Fantasy series. And mind you, I have not just played it, I've actually completed at least five titles. So, yep, that's that's under my belt. <laughs> and what is it about that game? What does it? Why, why does that one do it for you? Well, it's essentially a role-playing game. So you, um, there's a lot of adventure, um, and oh, adventure, romance, and a bit of romance, not a lot. And it's really, um, it's a very elaborate battle system where you get to play, uh, you know, you join your characters on an epic battle of good versus evil, you know, as all the classic video games are like. Uh, but for this case, what I really like about Final Fantasy is that I've seen, okay, firstly, the graphics are superb. I, I just love the character development and, you know, every time you enter, well, every time you enter a CGI sequence, it's like a whole new visual treat. Um, and I love the battle system itself because it's it's clearly evolving as we go along. I think like my, my real favorite was um, Final Fantasy XV uh, because, you know, they, they've kind of expanded the battle system beyond just uh, traditional, you know, um, traditional auto, auto control where you can just click attack 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 now really right now you can strategize among like three to four of your own party members and you've got new techniques like what they call basically is like spatial warping um where the late protagonist noctis would just kind of um teleport to a point on the building and you can strike your enemy down from a higher point or a vantage point as well if you're if you're doing some reconnaissance there so yeah it's, it's just really fun and it's no longer just about battle systems because you you get actually get to farm uh, materials to not just upgrade your weapons you can also cook um cook i say cook it sounds odd but <laughs> you can cook um, um meals to you know improve your team's um buffs and stats which is really helpful especially when you're entering into boss fights so you know a whole lot more to look into not just weapons and your your tactical strategy now you got to think about food as well and and the food looks amazing yeah, I like the fact in the end you br- we started with food and now we've ended with food. <laughs> yeah.
Now, Cindy, I thought Joy there gave us a real flavour of the BSI motivations for a new standards committee for immersive technologies and also, you know, some of the standards architecture involved in the UK and internationally. Yeah. And I love the way your conversation had started and ended with food, something I love, as you know. Um, It was also great to hear the real passion in her voice and those of Chapman and Daniel, too, but about gaming. That's true. And as uh, as Chapman said, though it hasn't had a total dominance, gaming has certainly had a significant influence on the development of immersive technologies. And he was also really excited about the potential applications, you know, for moving, moving in the real world and the virtual world, something we did get a bit of an insight to, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Because as we were moving around, you know, if we did get to the edge of the room, that sort of virtual wall would appear where the real one was. Something that Chris had described as that guardian system. It's fascinating stuff to me. It's really cool. I also thought it was really interesting um, what Daniel had to say about everyone in the company having a VR headset so that they can hold their meetings in VR or play a game together. Um, But I suppose the downside is that it brings the office not just to your home, but into your head too. (laughs) (laughs) But also for me, because as Daniel says, we will be using XR more. And so as we increasingly rely on this sort of technology, standards will be needed, especially around the issues of user experience and privacy. Yeah. And Chris spoke about that, didn't he, about Mm. how the XR sector uh, has grown and is growing organically. And he drew some parallels for us uh, with, with how the internet had grown and saying that the sector now, the XR sector, is now ripe for standards development, which is obviously why we now have the IST31 committee. Are you, um, are you looking forward to living in the metaverse, Cindy? <laughs> Not sure about that, but we did have a lot of fun with the tech, didn't we? <laughs> we sure did. And things certainly have come a long way since I first used a Sinclair ZX81. What on earth is that? Google that. Google that. Well, that's the show. We need to say a huge thank you to Daniel Kolaiani and Chris Gumby for not only speaking to us, but also for hosting us so brilliantly at AIXR and for arranging for Cindy and I to use the VR headset. It was so much fun. And if you want to see the images of Matthew and I using it, then check out our socials. But sad to say, though, they don't include the scenes of us whacking each other around the head. (laughs) They don't. We should also say a huge thank you to Chapman Lee, or Lee Chapman, and Joy Tan for their contributions to this episode. And also a huge thanks to Alice Kasassian-Brown for sharing her My Favourite Standard. And of course, a huge thanks to you for listening. To find out more about the IST31 committee and its work on standards for immersive technologies, go online and search IST31. Now, hopefully, Cindy, this episode will meet with the universal approval of our listeners. You're doing the blur thing again, aren't you? Yes, yes, I am. And actually, I'm feeling quite tender about it. Oh, come on! You have been listening to an episode of The Standard Show with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Subscribe to us now wherever you get your podcasts. You just heard a stripped media production. 